podcast. This is Chance Gilliam. Today's guest on the show was one of my instructors this past July at the writing workshop at the Paris American Academy. She's an award-winning author and poet, a clinical psychologist, and an all-around brilliant individual. It was a real pleasure having this conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it. Please welcome to the show, Hava Alian. All right, first question. All right. Very important question, as this is uh, <laughs> Black Friday we're recording on. Did you storm any stores this morning? I did not storm any stores, but I have been doing some online shopping. Finding some deals here and there. Um, I, yeah, I did the yeah, same yesterday, actually. Like, oftentimes, you know, they're uh, they're like good for a week online. I don't I don't understand the the need I know, to like. Well, it's the same rush that there yeah. used to be now with yeah. like online deals. Yeah, but um, even as it is, like I. Last night, I, I like drove past a couple of stores, saw people lining up, which is which is crazy to me. Like, I don't know what you need that badly that you're gonna wait. I mean, this is Minnesota; it's like 20 degrees out here. Oh my um, god, people are waiting outside. Oh yeah, no, I don't, I don't have that in me. Yeah. Uh, so we met this past summer in uh, in Paris at the writing workshop, and I guess I don't know how you came to uh, to be teaching there. You want to like share some info on that? Yeah, it was actually really random and lovely. They so I did a I gave I did like an online classroom visit. Like they Skyped me in um to a school in Jersey, to a university in Jersey for like a creative writing class and that was in 2000 when was that? I guess it was it was early 2018. And then the guy that kind of connected me with it, the guy that was the professor for that class, he, I don't know how he found me. We did the thing. I gave the talk. I answered some questions. It was lovely. And then was not in any communication with him ever again until early 2019 when I get an email out of nowhere and he's like, hey, do you have any interest in going to Paris this summer? And it was the most serendipitous thing because I had literally just been talking with a bunch of people about how I wanted to try to travel to Paris um, <laughs> because I spent October 20 so October of last year October 2018 I did a one-month writing fellowship through the American Library in Paris and I spent a month there and did this writing residency and it was so wonderful and I had such a great time in Paris and I was like I really want to get back and I teach during the calendar year. So the only opportunity would be to, to do something in the summer. So I've literally been talking about how I wanted to get back there for like a couple of months. Got this email. I wrote back and was like, you have no idea how ironic it is that you're asking this. Yes, 100% yes. What is it? And he's just a friend of Walt. So he just wow. was like, do you? Yeah, he was like, so I guess Walt had asked him like, are you, Walt being the director of the program? had asked him, do you know anyone who you think might be a good fit for this? We're looking for a poetry person. And that was it. It was like a perfect, perfect, perfect timing situation. Yeah, sometimes it clicks. It's it's really amazing how things can, can work in your favor like that. And I definitely uh, want to ask you a bit more about worldliness um, because you've, you've really been all over. And actually, my introduction to you was that first reading because I think you got there on a, on a Tuesday. And um, every Tuesday we would have like readings at, at uh, Cafe Universal near the school. And uh, one of your two poems was like a, like a love letter to all of these different cities. So you, uh, you're Palestinian, but were born in the U.S., I believe. You, do you want to just, like, give people kind of an, an sure, overview of, of the early life? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm I'm a Palestinian origin, born to Palestinian and Syrian immigrants. Uh, my mother has a Lebanese passport and spent a lot of time there. And then parents met and married in Kuwait. I was born in Carbondale, Illinois, randomly, um, and then went back to Kuwait. We were there until I was four, which is when the Saddam's invasion uh, happened in Kuwait in 1990. And at that point, we, my parents sought asylum in the States. Um, so they moved to Oklahoma uh, because my, yeah, very randomly, my aunt, my uncle and aunt were living there because my uncle was getting his degree there, had nothing to do with the war. But when you're seeking asylum, a lot of times they'll, re- they'll like place you in, in cities where you have family. So we ended up in Norman, Oklahoma. Um, then we lived in Texas for a little bit, back in Oklahoma. We lived in Maine for a year. Uh, and then when I was 13, moved back to the Middle East and just kind of walked around different countries, lived in the United Arab Emirates, lived in Tripoli, and then I did my undergrad at the American University of Beirut before coming back to the States for graduate school in New York. And so you are a clinical psychologist. How did that interest come about? I think it was connected to the moving. I mean, I I remember, so I did my undergrad in political science, and then I was in Lebanon during the 2006 war and was just really fascinated with I mean, it was, it was heartbreaking, and I was just very interested in, like, what all these communities that have been kind of devastated by the war and, like, they experienced so much psychological damage, so much literal damage to infrastructure and things like that. And I was just like, how are, you know, how are these communities going to rebuild themselves? And my interest sort of started deviating from more macro politics, international law, to sort of more micro of, like, how do families get through difficult things? How do individuals cope with trauma? How do communities rebuild? And so, I, and I think it also is connected to me just being a writer. Like, I think they're both, both fields to me are very similar in psychology and writing. They both involve a fair amount of, like, taking what is kind of incoherent and jumbled and fragmented and trying to create a coherent whole out of it. And they both involve a lot of meaning making and trying to make sense of things. And obviously, I mean, they both involve narratives and just story, right? So, like, you you are telling stories when you're doing therapy and when you're thinking about somebody's psyche, and it's the same thing with writing. So, I just, yeah, I think I just became interested in kind of, like, cross-cultural immigrant mental health. And then it just, I, I did a master's at Columbia and then just loved it, and so I did the doctorate. Yeah. And um, so I, I read that for uh, uh, Salt Houses, when you began writing the book, you went first to like primary sources of information and were, was talking to like your parents, for instance, um, and asking for like memories of of their experiences or even like memories of their own parents, like your grandparents. Um, and and I, I'm really curious, like how you how you facilitated those conversations, because I think everyone's got like you know, family, uh, like somewhere in the tree with interesting stories to tell. But like, how did you approach them to say, hey, I'm, I'm writing a book. Can you share some information with me? Totally. I mean, I really, first of all, like, I really encourage artists and writers and lyricists and things like that who are interested in working with memory and thinking about their, his- their family histories to just like take the lead, bite the bullet, and ask, ask like family member if they're willing to share stories. Because what I found is like more often than not, people are actually really honored to be asked and are quite excited to answer those questions. And so I just sort of, you know, I just like asked them outright. I was like, do you have any interest in helping me with this? 
Um, I can obviously, you know, I can look up a lot of these things, but it's not the same as like, what was it actually like to be there? What sort of music did you listen to? How did you spend your days? What was the weather like? Like, what did it feel like? Um, and my parents were really lovely. My dad, I, in particular, I, I, I sent him like a million WhatsApp messages <laughs> and like, he was just like, he was very like patient and like responsive. And I think in some ways he was glad to be asked. I think it felt good for him to to have, you know, to have, like, the younger generation care. Um, and I definitely think that was my experience, too, with my grandparents. So, yeah, I mean, especially with grandparents and people that are older, it's such a powerful way of also keeping lineage alive, is, like, showing an interest in, in, in their lives, an interest in their memories, an interest in what they went through and what they saw. It was a very powerful, for me, it was a very powerful experience, to, like, hear the stories of my family. Yeah. Um, so that book was selected as the 2018 fiction winner of the Dayton Literary Peace Prize, um, which is huge. Congrats on that. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of curious about, uh, I mean, like getting into some some really broad concepts now, like because writing is definitely uh, well, I, I mean, after talking about like involving family, I can't say that it's a totally solitary endeavor, but, you know, it's it's something that you you have to go alone for the most part. I'm sort of curious, like. How you how you frame, um, I mean, winning an award like that, because for you, like, you know, you wrote the book for yourself or like with a certain audience in mind. But then for a group of people to say, all right, like this book is going to, you know, help us move towards world peace. Like, how do you even think of something like that? Uh, you kind of don't. I think this is sort of <laughs> the honest answer. You sort of like it happens. And then it was an incredible, incredible honor. I did say, like, I remember telling my my friend around the time that it happened like if there was a prize that I could pick winning it would have been that one because like I think it's really powerful in this day and age to write a book about Palestine and then have that be selected as a as a prize for a prize for a literary fiction prize um that is about peace in particular so it's Mm -hmm. not just about like winning a prize which is awesome and very exciting um it would have been exciting like regardless of what the prize was but there's something about winning a prize specifically on the topic of peace when you're writing about Palestine, given kind of the, the political uh, tenor and landscape around, around the, like those issues in this country. So that felt amazing. I also won the, the Arab American book award for it. And that was amazing because just because like you're writing for your community. So like that recognition within the community feels like beautiful. Um, but yeah, for the Dayton, I mean, you don't really, I don't know. You kind of just don't, like, it happened. It was amazing. I felt like I was sleepwalking during the ceremony. I couldn't believe it was happening. <laughs> and then after that, like, I was like, okay, I can't think too much about this stuff. I think in general, like, I think it's important to, to, to have, like, to sort of take a light hand to failure and success. Like, to kind of treat them both somewhat similarly and not get too taken with either. Because if you do it both, like... Either way, even if you were super involved or super kind of preoccupied with the idea of not having gotten a prize that you wanted, right, or failing in some sort of way versus getting really, really preoccupied and really carried away with the idea that you won something, I think that either one serves just as a distraction. Like you end up kind of being distracted from the actual heart of all of it, which is like the work and the process of the work and creating the work and connecting with people who create other kinds of work and bearing witness to other people's art and creating growth like that. I, I feel like that should be the, always kind of the goal. So I always think of it as like, you're kind of driving on a highway, you get distracted by something, either something really distressing 
or something really gorgeous. And it's completely fine to like acknowledge it and like take it in. But then you kind of have to bring your eyes back onto the road in front of you. Like that's kind of the only way to do it. And so I felt very much that way with the prize. Like I, I let myself and, and I remember kind of talking about this with my husband. Like I, I made a very concerted effort for weeks and months even to just sort of be like, you have to take in the fact that this happened. This is so exciting. It's so thrilling. It was the same thing with the critical like reception of the book, which was really lovely and positive, like just sort of being like, this is happening. This is your life. And you have to take it in and be really grateful for it and, and allow it to be what's happening. But at the same time, kind of always bringing it back to like, okay, and now what are we going to work on next? Like, what's the next project going to be? What's the next thing you're going to write going to be? I feel like that's kind of the best way to try to like try to strike a balance. Yeah, definitely. That, that road analogy is actually perfect. Like, because yeah, if you if you see something beautiful, you gotta you know look over and and uh, take it in for a minute. But like if you don't get your eyes back to the road, you're gonna crash and then you're in trouble. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna be in um, trouble either way. Yeah. Yeah, and I you know I as you were as you were uh, talking, I I connected that back to what you were saying about the the initial interest in psychology and you know wanting to affect the world in whatever way you can and you know at some point realizing like maybe the the way to do that is through personal change because if if people are making totally. like better individual choices and living living happier lives then like we have better societies and so you know like reading is also a, a really solitary activity and and uh yeah, it, it sort of puts it in perspective for me to think everyone, you know, picks up this book, they read it individually, and then the I like that's just the power of words is the ideas then like affect the way that they operate in the world. Completely, completely. Yeah, no, I mean writing is like writing and reading. I think are really like they're they're quite revolutionary acts. And there's like both both you know that's like if you think about like censorship, like there are certain books in certain places in the world where reading something can get you in prison. That's how powerful like that process can be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you specialize also in uh, in trauma and writing as catharsis. And I remember actually this summer uh, we did like one exercise in particular about that. Could you could you share some words on like anyone who maybe even like wants to try that at home and in, in uh, you know how how you can work through maybe some difficult uh, internal situations with writing. Yeah, I mean, I think that writing is a really powerful way to, to sort of organize the world and make sense of things that are kind of incomprehensible, like loss and death and grief and war and, you know, sometimes like mental health issues. I think it can be a really, really, really powerful tool for for kind of coming to terms with some of those issues. So I think writing about those things are really is really potent and really transformative. I do think that, like, I, the advice I would give is, like, you know, trying not to write about something that's too raw or too fresh. Like, I don't think the first line of defense of processing something should necessarily be trying to, like, write a story about it or an essay about it or a poem about it. I do think, like, there sometimes needs to be some more internal excavation and work before a person feels more okay trying to tackle something. I also think it's a good idea to try to do that in conjunction with someone. Um, that can be like a writing group. It can be a friend that you really trust. It can be a narrative therapist. It can be a regular therapist. Um, I think it's good to try to get support around those issues because it's, it's really scary. I mean, it's, you know, it's not easy to sit and write about something that is like played a big role in your life sometimes in, in ways that were painful. I think it's good to take breaks. I think it's good to really, really make sure you're taking care of yourself. Like people who are writing memoirs or personal essays about charged topics, I always say like, you know, make sure that you 
have something like pleasant planned at the end of like when you're writing a particularly difficult scene. Um, try not to write too close to bedtime because people can have nightmares. Uh, make sure that you're sleeping okay, you're eating okay, you're exercising. Like kind of having little like um, SOS behaviors if you start to get too triggered. So like you know knowing that you can go for a walk, having a friend identify that you can call playing with a pet, drinking some tea, like just having sort of a list of things that you can do to take care of yourself. I think it's really potent. Yeah. And, um, you know, actually that, that day that we did that exercise, I asked you, um, is it possible that I haven't experienced trauma, which I think I, I sort of like framed incorrectly in my mind because preparing to talk to you today, I thought a little more about that. And, you know, I, I was thinking like of trauma as as this idea of like something really terrible like happening to me and not being able to move past it. But like as I've gone a little further into the idea, um, you know, I, I think there is some validity to to what I said before about like I've got a family with, uh, you know, like a history of working in emergency services. So like maybe there's something there where like I'm not I'm not so easily affected by like the sight of blood or, or things like of that nature. But at the same time, like there are certain things in my life, even decisions that I've made in the past or like ways that I've treated people um, and, mm. and a few different things that like even over the years, um, you know, they'll like crop back up um, just issues mm. that maybe aren't aren't totally resolved. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess, I guess to uh, to make the most of my of my free counseling session, I'm sort of curious <laughs> what you what you <laughs> what you think about uh yeah, just like, you know, dealing dealing with, with the past. Because you got to let the past lie to a certain extent. But, like, when it keeps cropping back up, like, what do you even do? A great question. I mean, I don't have, like, a one-and-done answer. I think, like, it's, it's something I contend with, too, is, like, you know, to what extent do we use the past as uh, kind of information and a guide for the present and the future? And to what extent do we sort of just leave it where it is and focus on the moment? Like, I'm you know, I think more and more very much a fan of like mindfulness and sort of living minute by minute, because I think that's kind of all we have in a lot of ways. But, but I do think it would be naive to pretend that like the past isn't a massive deciding factor and like, you know, and how we choose to live minute by minute and the choices that we make. And I do think there's a lot of power to, in some ways, I don't think you can rewrite your past, but you can understand it in a different way. And I think that there are ways that you can like, by changing the present and changing the sort of decisions and the ways that you are in the world, you kind of do change the past. You change what it means. You change what its implications are. Um, I think also, you you know, I remember, like, even you just now mentioning, like, being from a family that has a lot of, like, emergency service, like, working in that field. I mean, there's a lot of trauma there. There's a lot of, like, secondary traumatization. There probably is, like, a fair amount of, like, intergenerational things that get passed down. Like, I think trauma means such different things for so many different people. Um, and a person doesn't have to be, like, quote-unquote traumatized to, you know, just, like, life is hard. <laughs> life is hard for everybody. Yeah. You know, we're all kind of, like, doing the best that we can. And I think it's really, really important to, I don't know, to just sort of be mindful of, like, how to inject compassion, like, a little bit more self-compassion into our days for, for all of us. I think it's something we'd all kind of be, we would be, smart to pay a little bit more attention to that i like it you released a book of poetry at the beginning of the year uh the 29th year are you working on anything right now what do you got going i got i got a few things going so i'm working it's funny that you asked about the past because i've just started to 
put together an essay on nostalgia, uh, like a long personal essay on nostalgia, which is a topic that I'm like obsessed with. Um, <laughs> so there's that. And then I've been working on some poems inspired by, so my husband is a computer coder. Um, so I've been working on some poems kind of inspired by concepts of coding. Cool. And then I've been working on a third novel. Yeah. So I kind of, yeah. So I have like a little bit of, a little bit of each genre kind of simmering. And Which is good. The I, one I, thing that I try to work on every day is, is the fiction and then everything else kind of when I can. Yeah. I was actually going to bring that up. Um, I think you said that you do like minimum 30 minutes a day of fiction. Yeah. Not even minimum, just 30 minutes a day. Yeah. You don't even go over? <laughs> <laughs> no. Because I actually find it like builds a better practice to do 30 minutes and then make myself stop. And then I'm kind of like excited to come back to it. Hmm. You know, I, uh, yesterday I was talking to my cousins, um, you know, cause it was Thanksgiving and like, as everyone was saying how stuffed they were, I was like, you know, I remember reading at some point, like you should always stop eating before you're full. Cause it, like, I don't know, like leave something for the next time. Yeah. Creative work is sort of this, like, it's sort of the same way when you frame it like that. Like if you, uh, you know, if you, if you give yourself that cutoff, like you leave yourself like, Oh no, but I've got like this other idea. And then you just have exactly. to come back exactly. and like add it in the next day. Exactly. Yeah. You That's super yourself, interesting. You give yourself uh, what's it called? Like anticipation. Yeah. Like, you give yourself something to, to anticipate and look forward to. How are you able to balance the, all the different work that you're doing? Because you've got like your, your professional, um, your professional life. You've got like the, life of an author and a poet like you you're you've kind of got uh you've kind of got these different plates spinning yeah, and uh yeah it, see, it seems like a lot to handle but you seem to be doing it pretty well i mean i have my moments like i definitely crash and burn sometimes but i think i think for the most part my approach is like not doing too much of anything actually like i i i, I definitely do a bunch of different things and played a bunch of different roles in my life but I don't overextend myself like I don't work 10 hour days I I mean I like the writing is a good example of what we're just talking about so like I do 30 minutes a day I don't do four hours a day you know like I do a little bit of writing I have like a small private practice I do some work at the counseling center I teach two classes like it's all it, it definitely feels overwhelming sometimes but I think the best the best tactic for me is like just not overextending myself and that is I mean that's like kind of an ongoing balancing act sometimes I can do it really well and sometimes I don't and I forget and I you know say yes to too many things and then regret it and then it's just like a lesson that you kind of keep learning as many times as you need to learn it Hmm. switching gears for for young people with an interest in uh fiction or poetry um let's say like around the age of high school graduation, maybe slightly before, slightly thereafter. Um, you got any words of wisdom for kind of finding that uh, that work-life balance um, or combining other interests? Um, like, anything to say there? I think I would say for any artist, like artist regardless of your medium, is like the most important piece of advice I can, or two pieces of advice I can give is one is around routine and one is around community. I think it's really, really, really important to try to find like-minded people. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'm sure you had that experience in Paris this summer. Like you, you met a group of people and became part of a crew of people that, that even if they were very different, even if everyone was working in different genres or wanted to write different things, were all ultimately joined by this love of creative work. And that kind of community building and group building, I think is really beautiful and really powerful. And so I recommend that anyone who's, 
like kind of like a young artist to try to find people like that and to try to create an art group or a writing group or whatever group. And, and the nice thing about it is like, let's say you live in a town, you know, if you live in New York, okay, you've got a lot of options. If you live in a small town, maybe there's fewer. But I think even if you find one other person or two other people, we don't have to have like a massive amount of, of, of participants in this. Like just one or two or three, that's community. And so I, I would first say like invest in building a community. And then the second thing is I really think routine is important with creating. I think you should treat it the way you would treat going to the gym um, or anything else that you're hoping to get good at. Like I – you know, I like the 30 minutes a day. A person obviously doesn't have to do 30 minutes a day, but like finding something that works for you where you do a little bit of the craft every day, I, I think is actually incredibly important. Um, do you, uh, being respectful of your time, do you want to direct people to any uh, online presence or, you know, places they could check out more of your work? Sure. I have, let me think. Um, well, we'll start with just like my website is halalian.com. So, H-A-L-A-A-L-Y-A-N. And then my Instagram is H-A-L-A dot N dot A-L-Y-A-N. Um, and yeah, if you Google me, there's a bunch. I mean, there's like, you'll find like, like links to like poems and stories and stuff like that have, that have been published in different places. And um, the, my books are on Amazon and like small indie bookseller websites and things like that. For sure, for sure. Well, hey, thank you, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk thank to me. You. Um, yeah, it was a, it, yeah, it was such an awesome summer, and um, I really look up to you and like all of the instructors that uh, you know I got to to cross paths with, and so uh, yeah, I'll let you know if I ever end up on the East Coast there. And uh, please do, please yeah. Do. Until then, let's stay in touch. I think you're a brilliant artist, and uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Cool. All right. Hey, happy holidays. Thank you too. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit chancebychance.com. Thank you for listening.